All right, all right. Everyone, take your seats, please. This time, we're talking about the pitfalls of optimization. Take your seats, please. Thanks. Welcome to the Change Academy podcast, a show for people who want to optimize their efforts to change their habits and their lifestyle. My name is Brock Armstrong. And I'm Monica Reinagle. As a society, we do place a very high value on optimization. And I think it grows out of our increasing use of technology, right? And and our capacity to gather and analyze huge amounts of data. All we need right now is just the computer in our pocket. We don't need those room-sized computers. Smartphone and that's all you need. And now that it is so very easy to track your nutrition, your sleep, yep. your exercise, yep. your recovery, yep. your stock gains, <laughs> the weather. Well, then obviously you naturally want to optimize them. I have tracked every single one of those. Yeah, except I'm not sure how we optimize the weather, but maybe we can mm. optimize our wardrobe for the weather. Sure. But what we don't always acknowledge is that in any system, When we're optimizing for one thing, it is likely to cost us gains in at least one other domain. We forget that. Hmm. And so in this episode, we want to talk about why it's so important to be clear on exactly what value you are optimizing for and also what you are willing to sacrifice in order to do that. Hmm. It's a really tricky balance, but I think it's worth the effort. Absolutely. I mean, every single day we are inundated by marketers that kind of, I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but they set traps all around (laughs) us because they do things like they promise quick weight loss. They promise that we can get rich quick with this plan or this scheme. And also those protocols that, oh, this is a few years ago, but everybody was like, 10x your productivity. Oh, right. The planners and the schedulers and yeah. Yeah, that 10x thing was just everywhere. And it took me forever to figure out what the heck they were talking about. It's a kind of sugar, I think, right? 10x sugar? Yes, exactly. So yeah, I mean, everything does seem more attractive when it's framed as being the optimal way to do it. And I hate to say it, but we humans are kind of suckers. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, when If we want something to be true, we'll go to great lengths to believe or at least convince ourselves that it is indeed true. But this phenomenon of wanting to achieve things now rather than giving it a little bit of time and achieving it in the future is a type of psychological bias. And we do talk about it quite often on this show. Right. That sort of knee-jerk assumption that faster or more is always better when sometimes slower is actually preferable. Mm -hmm. So take road trips, for example. So you're plotting your route from point A to point B, and you have a lot of options. You can optimize for how fast you'll get there for the time elapsed, or you could optimize for gas efficiency, the route that will use the least fuel. You could optimize for tolls so that you pay the fewest amount of highway tolls or optimize for more scenic routes. But Every single one of those things is going to come at the expense of at least one of the others. Mm. So it's really important to consider what you're optimizing for and why. Which of those things is most important to you? The why question. Once again, (laughs) what are you optimizing for and why? Why? Yeah. 
This whole conversation reminds me of when I was coaching a lot of athletes. And there's this thing in exercise where if you're trying to maintain a balance between your cardiovascular health or your endurance and muscle mass, well, this choice of optimizing for which one becomes a, a constant topic of concern. I, for example, if you're training for a marathon, which means you're optimizing for endurance, that means that you need to de-optimize for muscle mass or gaining muscle or even maintaining muscle. Not only is the training actually the, the training itself in opposition to each other, but in order to be really efficient as an endurance athlete, you need to get rid of some of that muscle because you don't want to carry all that extra weight around with you on the race course. That means there is a trade-off in optimizing for one or the other. And for the best of the best and the people who are out there making their living at racing endurance races, this is a worthwhile trade-off. But you know what? For the rest of us who are simply trying to just be healthy folks on this planet, that trade-off is not worth it. Yeah. And I think one of the logical flaws there is to, is to imagine that there is just one optimal state. Right. But of course, there are many optimal states, depending on which what you're optimizing for. Yeah, what your goals are. Exactly. And as always, the context matters. Exactly. So if we, if we go back to my road trip analogy, in certain situations, optimizing for speed may be your highest priority. Just get me there the fastest. But in others, you might want to optimize for a more relaxing drive, you know? And sometimes I think we just get into grooves where we assume that speed or time elapsed is our highest priority. And we forget to consider that sometimes maybe it isn't the highest priority. Yeah, especially when gas prices are what they are right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, we find that folks who join us in our Way Less program, that many of them have been so accustomed to exactly what you're talking about, to for optimizing their weight loss for speed rather than sustainability, which really is what we're yeah. what we're aiming for, what we should be aiming for, that you know, when they join the program, we end up spending a whole bunch of time deprogramming them as if they just came out of a cult. Mm -hmm. So to go back to your analogy, choosing that relaxing drive instead of the speedier one is actually similar to what we ask them to do in the program. Mm. And you know what? I think most of them actually end up enjoying it a whole lot more and appreciating our perspective that we bring to them in the Way Less program a lot more in the end. Definitely, definitely. But first we have to back up and and point out that we are optimizing for something different right? because they're, they're just so programmed. You're right. But, you know, aside from context and just value, there's something else I think that belongs in this conversation. And that is that greater optimization often involves greater risk. Mm. So a certain investment strategy may have the potential to give me the greatest growth, the potential to give me the greatest growth in my potential, but yeah. at a much higher risk. Mm -hmm. And economist Larry Kotlikoff, he's somebody that I enjoy his writing and I follow him. And he says, yeah, the more you invest in stock, the greater the chance of ending up with a very high cumulative long-term return, but your chance of losing your shirt also rises. <laughs> and I think sometimes we're only looking at that potential for growth 
and not the potential for risk. But that is another one of those places where when you're optimizing, you're trading it off against something else. Right. And again, uh, there's uh, other factors that are involved in, again, in the case of investments, the duration of the investments will be a really large factor in deciding whether or not you want to take that risk. Right. Context. Yeah. Context. Once again, like when I was 30, the context of being 30, I was much more likely to choose those financial, the the more risky financial situations than I am now in my 50s. And that's not to say that I don't take some measured risks these days, but I do make sure that I have a plan B and a plan C as well for <laughs> just in case. And you may remember why that's important from a previous Change Academy episode called Contingency Plans. And in that one, we said that having a contingency plan and the ingredients to make that plan work already in place can mitigate the stress rather than add to it. Right. Mitigate that stress of when things don't go according to plan. Exactly. And this is why Kotlikoff is an advocate of something that he refers to as upside investing. Have you ever heard of that? I hadn't, no. This is new to me too. And it took me a a minute to get my head around this. But the strategy involves assuming that your investments are going to do terribly over the course of your entire life and prepare and save accordingly. But then, which doesn't sound like much fun, right? No. But Every single year, if your investments do better than that worst case scenario, you take the difference or the upside and you use it to increase your living standard for the following year. Hmm. But you continue to assume that the next year's returns will be just as terrible. And over time, the chances are excellent that most years you will end up living much better than your worst case scenario would predict, but you will never be disappointed or you know, ruined by worse than predicted or worse than hoped for results. Okay. When I was trying to make sense of this whole thing, it kind of reminded me of expecting the worst from people so that you're never disappointed by them, Well, <laughs> which is kind of a bummer, that's but, sad. but I kind of, to make it a little more applicable to, to sort of real life, I use this type of logic when I'm riding my bike on city streets. Uh. So What I do is I always assume that none of the drivers, not a single one of them, knows that I'm on the road. They don't even know I'm there. They're not malicious or trying to kill me or anything. They just don't know I'm there. So that would be my worst case scenario. Mm. So then I ride my bike with that in mind. And then even if the drivers are like 10% aware of me, (laughs) I will still get to my destination safely with a minimum of scares. And if I do have to make one of those emergency break stands to get around somebody who's opening their door or something, well, then I'm not disappointed. I'm not freaked out because I expected it and was ready for it and had those evasive maneuvers in my back pocket. I think that's sort of what Kotlikov is getting at. Yeah. And that's also super good advice for city bike riders, you know, because Pointing out that you absolutely had the right of way is not going to be that much comfort when you're, you know, have all four limbs and traction and, yep. you know, being right is exactly. cold comfort. And it also reminds me of some very wise advice that my dear old dad gave me when mm-hmm. I was learning how to drive and we got to a, a stop sign and I went to turn and he said, you didn't put your turn signal on. And I said, well, there's nobody else at this intersection to see, to signal to that needs to know that I'm turning. And he said, Monica... It's the driver that you don't know is there that most needs to know what you're about to do. 
Mm-hmm. Dad. Good advice. Yeah. He's a smart guy. <laughs> oh, but you know what? Another example that I recently heard, and this was in a book by Rory Sutherland. Uh, the book is called Alchemy, the Dark Art and Curious Science of Creating Magic in Brands, Business, and Life. Creating magic. Mm. I know. It's kind of a mouthful, <laughs> but I got to say, I highly recommend this book, even if you have absolutely no interest in business or marketing or whatever. If you're just a student of human behavior and motivation, which I am, me too, it is totally fascinating. But beyond that, it's also one of the most entertaining books I've read in a very long time. It's worth it just for the footnotes alone. That's a heck of an endorsement. <laughs> right. But anyway. This podcast so, is brought to you by Rory Sutherland. <laughs> right. No, it's not. <laughs> Let's make sure to send him a link so he knows. Yeah. But he gives this example of optimizing your route, your driving route. So back to the driving routes. When you're going to the airport to catch a flight. So the fastest route on your GPS might be the interstate, and it might show that it will get you there 15 minutes faster than if you were to take a secondary road or a back road. But there's also a greater risk of a traffic accident on the interstate that you get stuck and could, you know, take an hour or more than you expect. So is that worth the risk? In that scenario, when you have a plane to catch, Wouldn't it be smarter to take the route that might be 15 minutes longer, but is almost guaranteed to get you there in that amount of time, as opposed to the fastest route, which is only faster if nothing goes wrong? That's such a, is that a catch 22? I think that's a catch 22. No, I think it's just makes good sense. (laughs) (laughs) And again, this reminds me, I live on an island and in order to get to the mainland, I have only really two choices. I can take a ferry or I can take a, a seaplane, or I guess I could take a, a bigger plane as well, but still there's a... Fear. Fine, you're an athlete. You could swim. I, well... Kayak? <laughs> there's a lot of dangerous things. Anyway, so I, with those two choices in mind, the ferry takes much longer. It takes about two hours. The, the seaplane only takes about 20 minutes, but because the seaplanes are so little, they can be drastically affected by the weather So again, yeah, optimizing for the fastest route means that if it's raining too hard, if it's foggy, if it's snowing, if it's windy, I could be delayed completely. I could be like unable to travel at all on that day. But so then choosing the much slower ferry seems more reliable, but at the same time they get canceled too. So it's... Well, you know, but it depends on what um, what the stakes are of not getting there, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes if I'm booking flights and I'll see a good connection that looks like a little bit tight, it's like, well, <laughs> um, if things go a little bit wrong, we might not make that connection. My thinking, that, but it's a way better itinerary. And my thinking is likely to be... be informed by like how big a disaster would it be if i missed that second flight right. like am i just going home to visit family and if i'm on the next flight it's no big deal or am i presenting at a conference and if i missed that flight i miss my presentation you know so that would depend on you know how i would want to optimize my risk as opposed to my travel comfort or whatever leaving the day before ends up being the best choice of all cuz mm, then right. you mitigate all the disasters but Anyway, this isn't a travel advice show. <laughs> well, Although it sounds no, but, like one. It, well, and I'm going to keep going in that vein because in his okay. book, and you were talking about like the ferry can be delayed, the planes can be delayed, like travel delay, so maddening. But one of the things I found interesting that Sutherland points out is that when we're forced to wait for things, 
So a delayed flight or a delayed ferry, or we're waiting for our luggage to be delivered to the baggage claim, Mm. which in my home airport, Baltimore, Washington airport, BWI takes like an hour and a half, or you're waiting for your Uber to arrive to pick you up. You know, we think that we're bummed out by having to wait, but actually what's really driving us nuts is being uncertain about how long that wait is going to be. Mm. Now, you might not believe that, but, <laughs> but here's the proof. When companies have employed technology to share with their customers exactly how long the wait will be, so in the example of Uber, you can see in your app the little map and you see the little car and you can yeah, see it driving, driving towards, towards you. you. Yeah. You see exactly where it is and exactly when it's going to get there. Or if your flight is delayed, the airline puts up on the travel board what the new predicted takeoff time will be. In those cases, we end up as consumers being much less dissatisfied with the experience. But think about it. Hmm. Our wait time has not changed at all. Nothing about the service has been optimized, and yet our experience has been optimized. Because it turns out that it's not waiting that we hate as much as wondering how much longer we're going to have to wait. Well, this is all extremely fascinating, and I do want to check out that book. But first... Some takeaways from what we've talked about so far. The first takeaway is that it is very alluring to want to optimize many aspects of our lives, especially when we're inundated with marketing that makes those big shiny promises. And the next takeaway is that even if we think we're only optimizing for one aspect of change, we are most often neglecting another aspect. Or, put another way, optimizing for one thing usually comes at the expense of another thing. Then the size or magnitude of the optimization often comes with a greater risk. And this doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You just need to be aware and ready, maybe with a plan B or a plan C. And finally, being clear on your greater goals and your objectives can make deciding which optimization is worth it and which carries too much of a sacrifice in other areas of your life. Right. And I think for our lab experiment this week, we should zero in on that last one about how to be clear on what's worth it and what's not. So yeah, that really is the crux, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, when we're in that optimization mode, we do often fall into that trap of believing that there is just that one single state that constitutes optimal. But as we've pointed out, there's usually more than one thing that could be optimized. And there might even be more than one way to optimize that one thing. So here are some questions to ask when you are attempting to optimize any outcome. First, be sure you're clear on what value you are optimizing for. Speed, sustainability, scenic routes, whatever. Then just ask yourself what else you could optimize for instead that might help you bring that into better focus. Mm. Once you have an idea of what some of the alternatives are, just check to see whether the thing that occurred to you first is actually your biggest priority because it may simply be habit. For example, it may simply be habit to assume that you always want to get someplace fastest. And if you're on vacation, you might prefer to take the slower, more scenic route. And then finally, just keep in mind that optimization in one domain may de-optimize another domain. So consider what those trade-offs may be and just make sure they're worth it to you. All right, that's it for this time. We'll be back again soon. 
Take care, everybody. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Brock Armstrong and Monica Reinigle.